Today on the show, we talk about the passing of a legend, Vin Scully. We then play a little game as we take on the dairy industry. After that, we welcome in our guest, a star of film and TV, Dr. Michael Clapper. And we finish with Sarah's news as we hear all about Lewis Hamilton's newest venture in the United States. But first, let me tell you about Next Wave. Yeah, Next Wave Services is a website design company that provides high-quality website design and maintenance work for businesses at a flat rate. NextWave was born from the idea that everybody needs access to seamless, reliable, and professional website design and maintenance service on a consistent basis. NextWave believes that their excellent track record of repeat business is proof of their commitment to delivering first-class service all of the time. Now, you can get a free website consultation when you check them out online at nextwaveservices.com. Founded way back in 1998, which is as old as the internet itself. Yes, that is a long, long time. It's Next Wave Services. It's time now for the Real Men Eat Plants podcast, your daily dive into sports, pop culture, beer, and food with a plant-based spin. I'm Dee, and along with news anchor Sarah Carlson, producer Eric Rogers, and today's special guest, Dr. Michael Clapper. Here is a man that prefers brunettes over blondes, Rich Reynolds. Hello, hello, and what is up? Welcome to the Wednesday version, episode number three of the Real Men Eat Plants podcast, along with Sarah Carlson and Eric Rogers. My name is Rich Reynolds. Happy to be here. Yesterday's podcast, by the way, episode number two, was the most downloaded podcast that we've ever put out. Out of all three podcasts, episode zero, (laughs) episode one, and episode two, episode two was the most downloaded podcast so far. So I'm really freaking excited about that. You know, if we don't do that like every day, there might be something wrong for a while. So I'm hoping that we're continuing to build. And I thank you for listening. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please hit that subscribe button, the like button, leave a comment, all of that kind of good stuff, because we are happy to have you along. I think we got ourselves a fantastic show today. Dr. Michael Clapper is going to be here. Dr. Clapper, by the way, was in documentaries like Cowspiracy, Seaspiracy, what the health? I don't know if anybody has seen all of those. They're all freaking fantastic. And he was also, by the way, a two-time Jeopardy champion. And so we're going to explore that in a while. Yeah, he won two episodes back in the late 80s, back-to-back, and then lost on his third try. And he's going to tell us all about that as well. But today, for those of you that can't see, I am wearing a Mariner's jersey. Now, that has nothing, by the way, to do with Vin Scully who passed away last night, and I wanted to talk about it a little bit. It's just I needed a baseball jersey with a great person on it. I don't have a Dodgers jersey to wear for Vin's memory. So this is a Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, it's a jersey. good color on you, too. So it, It's all right, right? My, my wife likes me in pastels. Are these pastels, I'm guessing? They are. They are pastels. Okay. So um, it's kind of working for me. And anyways, Vin, by the way, um, passed away, and if you don't know who Vin Scully is, as soon as you would hear him talk, you would know who Vin is. So Vin actually called the 715th home run that um, Henry Aaron hit when he was with the Atlanta Braves. He called the Kirk Gibson shot. He called just about everything. I think his career started in 1955 and ended like two years ago. He was calling games for the Brooklyn Dodgers and then traveled with the team out to Los Angeles and called every single game of theirs until he retired at the age of 92. 1950, by the way. Yeah. 50 is when he started. 50s. He was calling, like, Gil Hodges was on the team and Jackie Robinson. And there was Vin Scully calling the game. And, by the way, the the big, like, uh, sponsor for Brooklyn Dodger games back then, Lucky Strike Cigarettes. That's how long ago Damn. it was that, that Vin was calling games. And, and back then, if you remember, like I don't know if you've ever seen like commercials from the 1950s, they would actually promote cigarettes as being healthy. Up until it was like 1960, you know, they were actually considered healthy for you. It was amazing that people actually thought that, even though the, the cigarette companies knew that it was a 
I was watching crap. Major League the other day. Major League was on I TV, love that movie. and there was a Marlboro in the background. Yeah. Like you can see, it's like, man, how how old is this now? It's like so dated already. That is the county stadium scoreboard because they filmed all of those scenes inside of the old That's county right. stadium in Milwaukee. And uh, I mean, just by the way, and I've seen every baseball movie that is out there. I hate Field of Dreams. I think it's it's an absolute load of Oh, hate though. Hate it. Hate it. I think it's it's so sappy, crappy, unbaseball like. Chicago White Sox. That's okay. All right. And I, I I love my White Sox, but but here's the thing. That movie is not baseball. Major League that's baseball. If you've ever been around a team, and I had the opportunity to do minor league baseball back in the day, and I would follow the team around, there is nothing closer to baseball than the movie Major League. And even Joey, who plays college ball and has played summertime collegiate ball and all that kind of stuff, he said there, there's no comparison. Major League is what baseball actually is like. And even though it's a comedy and it's a it's a little far-fetched in places, that's what baseball's like. And I think Vin Scully you know, kind of brought that out. The thing that Vin was known for, he was a storyteller. And so the guy could sit on the air and tell you stories about ball players and stuff that was happening, and you would just be enthralled, man. I mean, just engrossed in this guy telling stories. And I'm still lucky enough to get to do baseball play-by-play. I do um, college baseball for Edgewood College, and I try to channel Vin Scully as much as I can because he was my idol. And I think too much now, baseball, if you watch it or listen to it, guys are giving stats and advanced metrics and all of this. And the one thing that's missing are the stories. I mean, there's just not... That's because stats is what you do when you don't have stories. When you don't have stories. And, and you have to get stories. And when I used to travel with the... Uh, it was the Madison Black Wolf back in the day. They had former major leaguers on the team. And, in fact, um, the the uh, manager of the team was a guy by the name of Dirty Al Gallagher. May he rest in peace. He played in the same lineup as Willie Mays and Willie McCovey for, for the San Francisco Giants. This guy I mean, is a freaking legend. He's called Dirty Al Gallagher, or was called Dirty Al... Um, because he didn't shower during a 24-game hitting streak. He didn't shower for 24 straight days. Sarah's doing the eyebrow thing again. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) He also, I remember, this was was so funny. It was opening day 1999. Dirty Al Gallagher, who loved to dip, too. I mean, he always had a dip in and was spitting and all the time. Um, He had like kind of a hole in his lip that was kind of bore out because of the dip being there all the time. So he would drip out of this, and he decided that day he was going to wear a white sweater, an actual like knit white sweater for opening day. (laughs) So TV comes out, and who knows? It might have been Sarah Carlson that was sent out on the story. I don't think it was, all right? But the TV like people are out to interview him on opening day out at the ballpark, and Dirty Al is giving the interview in this white sweater that has a black trail of dip going straight down his chest all the way to his belly button from dipping all day. Dude did not take the sweater off. He did the interview with a dip trail down to his belly button. Now that is dirty, and that's why his name is Dirty Al Gallagher. Good story? Decent that's, story? It's <laughs> definitely old school baseball. Pretty good sure. baseball story. That's what I was going for there. That was in memory of Vin Scully. So, Vin, uh, I think he was one of the absolute all-time greats. Of, I, I, I think he's the best who ever called um, baseball by a long shot. He is often imitated. He has never duplicated. Vin Scully, one of a kind. And may he rest in peace. And so um, now what I want to switch gears to, because um, I told you we're going to have Dr. Michael Clapper on here in a little bit, and he is fantastic. I mean, this guy is in his 70s and right now is touring Germany. And uh, I mean, he's so active and he gives speeches and classes and is just go, go, go all the time. And we're in, I guess, honor of doing this interview of him. He grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin behind the Cheddar Curtain where we are right now broadcasting this very fine podcast and he changed his mind as he grew up and became a vegan and now is like a full-time vegan activist and has kind of seen the ways of dairy so in honor of this interview with dr michael clapper we're going to do a little Uh game here we go all right we're going to try a little quiz show game and i'm going to be your quiz master so i'm going to be the alex trebecker 
Ken Jennings or Mayim Bialik or something like that. Name your favorite game show host of all time. Mine was probably Richard Dawson, although he is, like, borderline creepy if you think about it. So um, who does the um, family feud right now? Is it Ken Harvey? Is it Steve, Steve Harvey? Harvey? That's his name. Steve, Steve Harvey. Harvey. All right. Steve Harvey. Okay. And he's fantastic. He's really good. But Richard Dawson back in the day was doing it, like, in the 80s, and he would kiss every woman that was on the yeah, show. Yeah, that was too yeah. much. <laughs> And sometimes it would get a little creepy because, like, the really pretty ones, he would, like, kiss twice, you know? And, you know, some of them you could tell, like, the women were kind of put off by it. Some of them couldn't wait to get that kiss. They were like, yeah, I'm kissing Richard Dawson, and they would kiss him pretty good. But this guy. Husband's yeah, right they, there. <laughs> they were kissing a celebrity. They were, that would not fly these days. No. Oh, my goodness. No. It was uh, it was something else. It was, those were different times. And um, anyways, uh, I, I loved him. He was He was a good game show host at least. But, okay. So what we're going to do, we're going to do a little quiz here, and here's how the quiz is going to work. I asked you to bring with you a sheet of paper and a writing utensil. You're going to write down your answer. Every question is going to be a number 1 through 100. Now, the closer you are to the actual answer, those are the points that you get. So say it's like the answer is 50 and you say 55, you would get five points. The lowest score at the end of the game wins now if you end up hitting the number right on the head you get a five point deduction so that will help you out okay and so this way i'm going to have you guys write it down so that your answer is already locked in with i'm going all ones or all ones. yeah so really feast or famine i'm gonna try that's okay All right, I got six questions for you. They are all about the dairy industry, as we're going to be talking with Dr. Clapper a lot about that. So we've been talking a little bit about the dairy industry this week as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about that now. The first question is, uh, and maybe I should should have a little background on this question. Do you guys know what a rape rack is? In the a a rape rape rack? rack. No, in the dairy, no, I can. Yeah, guess. in the dairy industry, is that what it, is that the technical yeah, term? Well, that's what they call it in the dairy industry. That's when they artificially inseminate nice. cows, um, oh, okay. and, they, and they put them in what's called the rape rack. Okay, kind of a gross uh, thing to be called for sure, but that's what it is. What percentage of the dairy industry uses a rape rack? All right, one to one hundred. What percentage of the dairy industry? uses a rape rack. And I thought it had some music here, and for some reason it is locked up on me and not playing. I had, like, game show music. Should have made my answer bigger. What is going on with my... Are we showing answers? We are going to show answers when you guys are both locked in. Are you both locked in? Locked Locked in. in. All right, Sarah, first, what have you got? What percentage are you going with? Uses a rape rack. She's going to say 90%. Oh, it looks backwards, doesn't that is, it? That's way up there. 90 for Sarah. Eric, what do you got? Mm-hmm. 85. So both of you going With a pretty high number. The actual percentage of the dairy industry that uses a rape rack, 75. 75%. So, Eric, with an early lead, but a very small lead, as we go to question number two. Now, between 1 and 100, how many billions of dollars does the U.S. government spend in dairy subsidies? So, dairy, this is the amount of money that the government uses to help fund the dairy industry. It keeps prices artificially lower. And they actually promote school programs and all of that kind of stuff. So, one through one hundred, what? How many billions of dollars does the U.S. government? Billions, billions, billions and billions. Billions and billions. That's a better Carl Sagan than I got. Yeah. Good luck, Tim. All right. That was not that what was going for. That's how bad that was. <laughs> I'm locked, locked in. in. All right. Sarah, what you got? How many billions of dollars the U.S. government spend? She's going with 22. Eric? I'm going all the way. 100. Holy going 100. God. That would be like a... Wait, it's 100 I don't million. Know. I, I felt like it was extreme. It's not a billion. No, it's just 100 million. 100, or 100 billion. 100 okay. billion. No, that wouldn't be a trillion. It's still just 100 billion. Okay. Uh, I'm kind of bad at the math here. All right. The actual the answer, answer man, that the government spends <laughs> in dairy subsidies per year is... 30, $30 billion. Oh, I was so, a little yeah, off. you're a little off. 
Sarah now with a big lead on Eric as we go to question number three. Still plenty of time to catch up here. So, all right, question three. Between 1 and 100, how many millions of dairy cows are slaughtered annually for ground beef in the United States? So they go ahead, they give milk for a couple of years, they're not producing at such a high level anymore, they go ahead and stop. Locked in. Oh my gosh. How many millions of dairy cows? Billions of dairy cows. Millions, not millions. millions. I'm sorry. Millions of dairy cows are slaughtered annually for beef each year in the U.S. alone. That ground beef that you eat in your hamburger. We're going to start with Sarah. Sarah, what you got here? It's going with 80, 80 million. Why do you think it's that much? A know. lot of fast food restaurants, so that's <laughs> why. Uh, Eric, what have you got? Yeah. All right. I went down the middle. Going straight 50. This Full one 50. might hurt a little bit. 99 million in the United States alone no are slaughtered. Way. For ground beef. That's just ground beef. Those aren't the cows that are used for steak and, you know, better cuts of meat. And it's 121 Ooh. million worldwide that are just used for cheap cuts of meat. All right. We're halfway home. And the U.S. 99. is 99 and of We them? eat the most meat by far. It's not even close. Um, all right. Question number four. What percentage of newborn calves? This is a percentage now of newborn calves are forcibly removed from their mothers within 24 hours. Now, Dr. Clapper does talk about this. And I don't yeah, remember. I, I don't know if he gives an actual percentage. I know that he talks about it. Yeah. So we are looking for the percentage of newborn calves taken away in 24 hours. All locked in? Locked All right, in, Sarah. Baby. You're a mom. This has got to feel bad. She's going with 99%. 99%. Eric Rogers throwing up a 75, 75. out there. The actual percentage, 97 Holy cow, Sarah! Sarah Sarah's is killing it. it. I don't think there's. I, I think it's impossible. It's to not impossible, man. You're going to need a couple like negative fives here or something like All that. Right. Okay, let's go. This one, this one might be a little uh, bit harder. All right, one. here we go. In tens of millions. All right, so we're thinking big numbers now. Tens of millions. Tens How many pus cells? You know pus that like grows hmm. on your like wounds and stuff like that. Okay, yes, and yes, yes. Smells and yeah. Sarah's ready to hurl. Um, how many pus cells does the FDA allow in every liter of milk oh. produced? All right. How many pus I don't want it to know, man. Does the <laughs> FDA allow to be put into your milk in tens of millions, tens of millions of cells in every liter? How many tens of millions of cells in every liter of milk? This is what they would allow. Guys locked in? Sarah's making like the grossest face. Like she's <laughs> trying to think. And I think, no, I are, are you thinking of all that pus in your this yogurt, is Sarah? I changed my answer. I changed my answer. That's okay. why. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. Are you I'm ready for all me? set. Tens of millions of pus cells. She's going with eight. Eight. So that would be like 80 million pus cells per liter of milk. Eric, what do you got? Going with 10. Similar okay. answers. Get this. The actual number of pus cells that the FDA allows in every liter of milk, 750 million. So it's 75. So 75, we 75 is the answer. 750 million. They do a little bit better in Europe. They only allow 400 million pus cells per liter. And the U.S. government does Mine's pay out easy. extra money to, to dairies in the U.S. Yeah, if you could keep it under 400 million pus cells per liter, they'll they'll give you an extra subsidy for that. So, so how many points do I? I can't figure. Yeah, this out. I'll I'll have all the I'm math. I'm doing done. the math. You know, I'm not the, again. I'm not the best at math, but I'll get it. Yeah, yeah. two. <laughs> I get two. Things. I will get it. No, you're going to get a Wait, lot on that no. one. Yeah, that one's like 67. So yeah. okay. Last question. Here we go. Yep. This fun little game. Nah. Between 1 and 100, how many gallons of water? So this is water that could actually be, you know, 
drunk by people. How many gallons of water are required to produce just one slice of cheese? A single slice of cheese. How many gallons of water are required to produce that one single slice of cheese? Everybody's thinking. Everybody's writing. This is going to be insane, isn't it? You got one. Ready, one hundred. How many gallons are required for one slice of cheese, Sarah? Oh, one through one hundred. One one hundred. Oh. All the way well, up to hundred. You can go. Here. All right, okay, Sarah's ready. ready. Eric, you locked in. All right, Sarah, what you got? We're good. Sarah's going with twenty gallons of water, Mister Rajas. Okay, now I feel really dumb about this answer, but we're going what, 60. Nice job. <laughs> 66 gallons of water are required to make Dang. one single slice of cheese. That is pretty frigging nasty. I mean, to think about all that water that's wasted just to get one slice of cheese onto your table. I mean, I guess because you're talking about the water needed from birth of the cow to... Correct. Yeah, so that's that's called embedded water. So, in fact, a a dairy cow will drink 66 gallons of water per day. That's what each and every cow is drinking. Wow. So, if we didn't have industrial farming and didn't do the dairy thing, all of that water would now be fit for human consumption, and there wouldn't be quite the water problem that we have anymore with drinking water problems all over the world so anyways okay well california is the home of happy cows supposedly and then you know they're they're so happy up on the rape rack and then uh, (laughs) slaughtered to become hamburgers okay um eric and sarah we're gonna have to wait on the final tally here i will give you the winner when we do the news and we will do that right after we talk with dr michael clapper he is up next All right, I've got something that I think is pretty cool to tell you about right now, and that is our partnership with Paul's Party. That's right. The Real Men Eat Plants podcast has teamed up with Paul's Party, a charity that funds FUN, and that's F-U-N, all capitalized, for kids with physical disabilities. Now, here's how it works. Just go to our website, realmeneatplants.com, and click on the link for our Paul's Party fundraiser. All through the month of August, we are splitting funds 50-50, with this awesome charity. Your contribution of six bucks will help pay for the costs of our very fine podcast, as well as raise some serious coin for Paul's party. Now, Paul was a great kid who passed away at the age of 15, but his mom wanted to remember him by having a party on the anniversary of his death to help raise money for local charities. Well, they ended up bringing in over $15,000, and with that, a new 501c3 was born. Paul's Party does some amazing events like Paul Palooza, which is Sunday, August the 28th at the beautiful Wisconsin Brewing Company in Verona, Wisconsin. Yeah, there's going to be bands there all day long, great food, and some delicious Wisconsin Brewing Company beer. you got to like that. Now, I would like to present them a big, fat, oversized check with a generous donation courtesy of our podcast subscribers on that day. Again, just go to our podcast page on realmeneatplants.com or click on the link or go even to patreon.com and type realmeneatplants into the search and give today. Thank you so much for your support and a special thanks to Kathy, Paul's mom, for making all of this possible. All right, time to bring in our guest now. He is a physician, a vegan health educator, conference and event speaker, and an author of articles and books of vegan medical advice. He has practiced acute medical care, certified in urgent care medicine, and has been a vegan since 1981. Oh, by the way, also a Jeopardy champion and has appeared in such films as Cowspiracy, Seaspiracy, and What the Health. Please welcome to the podcast, Dr. Michael Clapper. Uh, Doc, we are so excited. Yeah, there's there's the clapping right there for for Clapper. And thank you so much for, for coming on. I'm so excited to have you on, especially because, um, and you might not know this, we're actually doing our show from behind the Cheddar Curtain in Wisconsin. And you have kind of some history with that growing up on a dairy farm. And I've always been interested. And from the time, you know, that I've seen you in movies, it's like, okay, 
How did a guy growing up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin revolt against that? Because there's so much peer pressure to eat cheese curds and eat ice cream and go to Culver's and all of this kind of stuff. But you eschewed all that and went your own way. How did that all come about, Doc? Well, as you say, I grew up eating these standard American diets uh, until my uh, mid-30s, and I assumed that uh, milk and cheese and all that were a good source of protein and calcium and all of that stuff. Uh, But uh, medical school grounded me in the basics of of nutrition, Uh, and so I had an understanding that uh, plants are really the ultimate source of all these nutrients. But very importantly, I was on the cardiovascular anesthesia service in Vancouver. I was going to be an anesthesiologist. Uh, and I was on the cardiovascular anesthesia service. And that's the one uh, dealing with people's uh, blood vessels. And day after day, I'm putting people to sleep and, uh, and <clears throat> opening up and watching surgeons open up their coronary arteries in their heart and pulling this yellow greasy guck out of their arteries called atherosclerosis that are that causes the heart attacks and strokes, etc. And my dad died of clogged arteries, and I knew that I've got those genes. And there were already studies in the medical literature showing that this atherosclerotic cholesterol-laden plaque can be melted away with a plant-based diet. Uh, so I was getting lots of messages to uh, uh, to change to a plant-based diet before I was lying on that operating table with that striker saw going up my sternum. I sure didn't want that to happen. <laughs> and consequently, um, I changed to a plant-based diet. Well, my body loved it. Within 12 weeks, a 20-pound spare tire of fat melted off my waist. My high blood pressure went to normal. My high cholesterol went to normal. I felt great waking up in a nice, lean body every day. And at that point, you know, once you look behind the curtain, you can't pretend you don't know what's behind the curtain. And I had left general practice after six years getting so frustrated that uh, all my patients were just getting fatter and sicker and getting strokes and heart attacks. I didn't know what to tell them. That's why I ran into anesthesia uh, and I thought there would be salvation there. But the truth finds you wherever you are. And after I had this uh, experience and this revelation, I knew I didn't want to be an anesthesiologist, uh, as noble as that profession is, but I didn't want to spend my time putting people to sleep for the rest of my career. I'd rather go back to general practice and help and wake up. And uh, so I did, much to my parents' dismay, as I left my anesthesia residency with six months to go of my training. But it wasn't in truth for me to do that. And I became a plant-based physician, and soon my patients were experiencing the same benefits. The high blood pressure patients, you get them off their medicine because their blood pressure is normal. My diabetic patients had normal blood sugars. They got them off their insulin. And... I turned into the happiest doctor I know. My patients get healthy uh, right before my eyes. And so uh, it's, just, it's just basic science. But at that point, and, and it's been very evident that the meat and the dairy industries, the Department of Agriculture, uh, all these folks are in, are in existence to keep people buying their products, even though they may not be healthy for them. And so it was pretty easy to walk away from the uh, from my dairy heritage. We. We are not, uh, I, I tell my patients uh, who are eating dairy, go look in the mirror. you got big ears and a snout and whiskers, and are you a baby calf? If you're not a baby calf, now if you are, great, enjoy your milk. If you're not a baby calf, don't be eating baby calf growth fluid. You know, that's what this stuff is, and it promotes growth of all sorts of tissues you don't want to promote growth in. So all the way around, um, it was time to leave the, uh, leave the dairy in, in the dairy case there. And it's getting so much easier today. There's so many great non-dairy substitutes to put on your sandwich and on your salads. Uh, there's really no need for that archaic industry, and we'd be better off without it. Truth is, the dairy farmers should do something else with their land. 
Well, that was going to be the the next question that I had. You know, Doctor Michael Clapper here on the Real Men Eat Plants podcast. Uh, you know, looking at you know from your history of growing up on a dairy farm, how do you look back on that industry now as as an adult and someone who's um, you know kind of seen the the data and the evidence? Oh my! I mean, that's such a powerful question. The answer is so powerful. Um, and the, one of the earliest memories I have, I spent my first sixteen summers at my uncle's dairy farm. Uh, and when I was a little kid, five, six years old, I remember these plaintive calls coming from the dairy barn. Uh, they'd go on for hours after I didn't know what was happening. Well, what was happening was that a mother cow just had a baby calf. Uh, and the, the calf wants to suckle on the mother's udder. But that's stealing money from my uncle uh, who wants to sell that milk to the dairy. So within 48 hours, uh, the, the baby calf is scooped up and put into the veal pen 10 yards away from the mother in the barn. Uh, and, and the mother's locked up in the stanchion, so she can't approach the, you know, the, the calf. And hour after hour, she bellows the most heart-rending, soul-tearing calls of a, of a mother wanting to get to her child to nurse it. And, I'm, and this is, there is no creating dairy products without this inherent cruelty. The dairy industry is an inherently cruel uh, industry in, in many reasons, and this is the first act of cruelty. Every calf must be taken away from its mother, and all those cows in dairy barn are new mothers with tears coming down their cheeks. You can really see it because they've all had their babies taken away from them. But to those folks who think that, uh, uh, that well, you don't have to kill the cow to get the milk. Yes, you do. No dairy cow dies of old age. The, within five years of calves and, and milk, uh, the milk production goes down. They are now a drain on the bottom line of the dairy producer. And so the, uh, the cows loaded onto the slaughter truck, taken to the slaughterhouse and shot in the head, and, uh, and the flesh stripped from its bones and turned into ground beef. Most of the fast food burgers are ground up old dairy cows. And the, and the truth is that the dairy barn is a short stopping off place on the way to the slaughterhouse. But the dairy industry is a slaughter industry. Even the little calves, they're all little male calves. They're, they'll never give milk. They're of no real use to the dairy men. So uh, uh, at 16 weeks, um, they have their throat cut and turn into milk-fed veal. The, the veal industry is an, is an absolutely essential offshoot of the dairy industry. They're just, it's a bloody industry. They're from taking the calves away from the mothers, uh, slaughtering the calves, slaughtering the mothers. Uh, and it's a special affront against the females of the species. This is the forced insemination to make these cows pregnant, uh, the taking away of their babies, the, uh, uh, the hormones that they're injected with. Uh, and, and it's the women buying so much dairy for their calcium, for their bones, you know, to prevent osteoporosis. And they don't realize that every time they... They put that container of Greek yogurt or cheddar cheese in their shopping basket. Um, they're paying for uh, take another calf away from their mother to kill another one of these beautiful innocent dairy cows. Uh, it, it's a bloody industry that's an affront to the female of all species, and we really shouldn't be supporting. And it's it's, it's archaic from the from the Middle Ages. You know, you know then, Doc, just to, by to follow up on some that new yeah. Uh, and you, a, just to, just to follow up on that a, a little bit, yeah, you, you talk about yeah. all these horrors, and, and you're absolutely right uh, about the dairy industry. My question is always like, why aren't we taught this at an early age? Why instead are the images that we have of dairy farms of laughing cows and sassy cows? By the way, that's like the name of two dairies right near here, and you see these pictures of, of these happy, smiling cows, and everything's wonderful. When, when the other thing, the opposite thing is really going on, why are we not taught that? Why are kids not taught that in schools. Are, my first response, are you kidding? I mean, the, the dairy industry doesn't want you to see this, doesn't want the public to know this. No, you know, like Paul McCartney said, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, you'd all be vegetarians. The meat industry doesn't want you to know what goes on in the production of chicken meat, pig meat, beef, uh, and dairy, these are slaughter industries, and it's grotesque and cruel. And, uh, and but the you've got these mega 
the uh, the industrial uh, conglomerates uh, in the in the Department of Agriculture and in the meat and dairy industries with with multi billion dollar advertising budgets, you bet they're going to deceive the public with their advertising. Uh, don't look, don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain, you know, like in the Wizard of Oz. Well, don't pay any attention to the guy with the knife uh, behind the curtain there and those screams you're hearing. Don't worry about that. Just, just eat your yogurt. Just eat your cheese. You need the calcium. Yeah. To which and, I say, and people will say that because they'll, no, they'll say that to me. Well, where are you going to get your protein? Get where do you get your calcium? Yeah. And it's like, right. I ask, you know, where do you get your right. fiber? Um, because I, I don't understand the question. Exactly. And you get your calcium from the same place cows get their calcium. Right? When you think about it, cows don't drink milk. Where do, they get, where do they get the calcium? They get it from the green plants they eat. That's where it comes from. The, the calcium is a soil mineral. It's in the soil. The green plants take it up. And the cow consumes it in the, in the greens that she eats. And so should we. And that's why you want big helpings of kale and chard and broccoli and Brussels sprouts every day on your plate. Uh, that's where not only your fiber is, but certainly calcium, magnesium, vitamin K. So many good things come from dark green vegetables. Um, so uh, there's... We have no more need for the milk of a cow than we do the milk of a giraffe. Uh, you know, I said, would you pour rat milk on your cereal? How about dog milk? You know, uh, why do we think that cow milk is somehow sacred and healthy? It's not. It's, it's baby calf growth fluid, and it's filled with hormones. Uh, the, the, the cows are all pregnant now, uh, which is really sad. The, uh, if I have time to go into this, the, on my uncle's dairy farm in the 50s, um, when a cow uh, became fertile, they'd lock her up in the stanchion and call the badger breeder guy, ran that tube of bull semen into her uterus, and, and, and she would conceive, carry that calf for nine months, just like a human mother does. And if she had been giving milk, she'd dry up. Pregnant mammals don't lactate. There's a good biological reason for that. And my uncle just had to accept that. He'd pull out his notebook, uh, bossy number 16, won't give milk till the spring till she has her calf, and they recorded the date. Well, that's in the 1950s. We had 49 cows. In today's modern dairy industries, they're milking 1,000, 1,500 cows twice a day. They can't afford to have their best milkers go offline for nine months while they're carrying their calves. So now they've genetically modified the cow to science to the rescue. And now today's modern dairy cows will give milk even though they're pregnant with their next calf. Uh, and so they're carrying their next calf. Well, a pregnant mammal is full of estrogens, and it gets into all their tissues, including the milk. And so today's dairy products are made from the milk of pregnant cows, and they're full of, of estrogens. These are active, estrone, estradiol, estriol, pregnandiol, progesterone. These are not the puny little soy-based phytoestrogen. These are official mammalian estrogens. And and. Our little girls are going through puberty at age eight and nine. The more dairy a boy eats, the more cheese a boy eats, the higher his risk of prostate cancer when he's an adult. Um, it's toxic stuff. And, and uh, there are bovine leukemia viruses in the milk. Uh, uh, there's pus in the milk. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's not, I don't know how you can look at it as healthy. Uh, there's so many other ways to get your calcium and get your protein. You know, we should, uh, uh, we should move the dairy off our plate. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, uh, Dr. Clapper, that's a great, I think, transition into maybe a little bit of a lighter uh, conversation for those who maybe are, uh, you know, kind of tuning in for the first time to this podcast. But, you know, and you're, you're a man who's got a, a huge story outside of even just the, 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 the um, you know, dairy conversation that we had. So uh, in 1987, the, the Jeopardy winner. So I, I want to kind of get into that topic. So if you would uh, kind of go into that experience, tell us what that was like. Oh, uh, well, uh, a friend had, uh, had entered a contest where you, the prize was a tryout with, the, with Jeopardy. They were in town in Tampa. And, uh, and so he won it. Uh, but he picked up the phone and he called me and says, I'd like to give this to you. Uh, and so I said, okay. And so I, uh, I showed up at the tryout, uh, and they give you, they give you 50 questions you have to answer in three minutes, I think. And, uh, the top 10 of them would be given, uh, Jeopardy-like interviews. And I happened to get all those questions right. 
And so uh, they did a little, they took you backstage, and there was a camera there to see how you'd look on TV, uh, and did a, uh, uh, did a, played a little Jeopardy around there, and they said, don't call us, we'll call you. Uh, and sure enough, about the end of November, about four months later, the phone rings, you've been selected, uh, come to Los Angeles, and you'll be on Jeopardy. Four and, months. Uh, so I showed up there, and... Uh, uh, it was challenging. Uh, there were some really smart folks there, but I was able to, uh, I won two games. I lost on the third, uh, and uh, uh, it was a lovely experience. I'm glad I got to do that. And I, uh, uh, I won, uh, I got $11,000. I got a, the Freezer as a Constellation Prize and the Lee Press-On Nails. I got a year's supply of those as well. And uh, that, that was the best part of the, uh, of the experience. That was a game show standard, I think, in the 1980s. The Lee Press on That is definitely an experience. Yeah, uh, they, they popped up on Prices Right all the time and all that other good stuff. You know, you, you got camera time as well in on, on some of those movies that I mentioned, like Cowspiracy, Seaspiracy, What the Health, and really memorable stuff. Um, you know, one of the things that I remember you saying, too, is, you know, it's the food. And, you know, you, you, you kind of make it a real emphasis. And um, I, I, I want to know first, before we get to the it's the food line, how did you get involved with, with with making movies like that? How does how does someone reach out to you, and and is it something that you kind of embraced, or was something that you looked at originally and be like, I don't uh, know, I'm kind of nervous right. about no, this? No, just the opposite. Yeah, no, just the opposite. I was working at uh, True North Health Center in Santa Rosa, California, doing nutritional medicine, seeing how plant based diets reverse all these diseases. Uh, and I get a call one day from the young man says, we're, we're doing a movie um, and uh, we'd like to come and interview you. I had no idea who they were. It turned out to be Keegan Kuhn and Kip Anderson uh, that were the producers of Cowspiracy. I had no idea who they were. And they came one day to the clinic and set up their cameras and they asked me some questions, um, especially about dairy, actually. And uh, and we had lovely young men and shook hands and they left and that was the end of it. I had no idea what they're going to do with it. <laughs> and uh, about a year later, I get a call. Do you know that you're in a film that seems to be pretty good? And it turned out to be Cowspiracy and uh, uh, made a big impact. And about a year after that, uh, Kip calls me again saying we're doing another one. And it was, they're, they're just so right on. And in uh, the way they frame the context, the, uh, the, uh, the thrust of cowspiracy was that if large-scale industrial agriculture is the driving force of all these environmental disasters we face, uh, deforestation and, uh, and soil erosion, water pollution, water depletion, it's all being driven by our lust for flesh and the animal agricultural industry that has spawned from that. Why aren't the environmental organizations saying anything about this? They, they don't want to talk about that, about the meat connection. And um, so good for them for bringing that out. Well, it turns out, what the hell, turns out is asking the same question about the medical profession. If, if a meat-based diet is driving all the clogged arteries and hypertension and uh, diabetes and obesity, why aren't the doctors saying anything about this? And, uh, and yes, that's exactly the question to ask. And the two, along those lines, that's one reason we started our Moving Medicine Forward initiative. For the uh, reason that must occur to you as me, why, don't, why aren't, we, aren't we taught this in medical school? Why didn't somebody tell me that these were reversible diseases? All I was taught, you must control your patient's blood pressure. You must control your, you know, manage your patient's diabetes. Nobody ever said, would you like to make these diseases go away? Do you know type 2 diabetes will go, we can be reversed, hypertension can be reversed, obesity can be reversed. Why didn't someone tell me about this? And so uh, I've been going around to the medical schools as part of our Moving Medicine Forward initiative, doing that very thing, talking to the first, second, and third year medical students and saying, before you order another $1,000 scan, another $500 set of blood tests, ask your patient what they ate yesterday, because that's why they're sitting in front of you, doctor, obese and hypertensive and diabetic and clogged up and inflamed from what they're running through their bloodstream every four hours with the burgers and the buffalo wings and the pepperoni peaches. Uh, the American diet has become toxic. Send the patient to the plant-based dietitian. Let her do the counseling. You see them back in a month and see if they're not leaner and healthier. That's how medicine should be practiced in the 21st century. 
why didn't someone tell me this? But we're telling it now to the students and they are so appreciative. And one reason is because in every first, second, third year medical school now, and I've spoken to uh, dozens and dozens of them across the country, in all those classes, there's now 20 or 30 students who've seen films like What the Health and Forks Over Knives and Cowspiracy, the lights on in these young, young students' heads, and that's so encouraging. And uh, there's always some professors sitting in the back of the room saying, oh, this is too extreme, too radical. But the students know, uh, many of them are vegan themselves already. So, um, so it's very hopeful, but I got to keep slogging away at the coal face there, lecture after lecture. So people would like to uh, see the, I made a video of my lecture called What I Wish I Learned in Medical School About Nutrition. It's on my website, drclapper.com. Just click on our Moving Medicine Forward uh, link, and uh, you can see the message I'm delivering to the med students. And it's, I think, the most important message in medicine today. Yeah, and I love that message, and I'm glad that you're doing something like that. Aware. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it, it's kind of yeah, funny if you watch Conspiracy and then What the Health After, you kind of see Keegan's journey um, where he thinks that he's starting as a healthy person and he's recycling and taking shorter showers and he thinks he's eating healthy to by the end of What the Health, I mean, he's full on vegan. You know, at the end of Conspiracy, he's saving a chicken rather than wanting to eat one. And by the end of What the Health, you know, he's he's almost like, you know, full on vegan. And, um, you know, I, I kind of like watching that path. And I'm guessing in in your teachings, your lectures, uh, and what you're doing, are you finding similar paths of people? Are, are you starting to see like that, that tide kind of turn? I mean, I, I love that, that you're talking about medical students now that are kind of getting that, you know, and, and some of that nutrition-based uh, education. But are, are you starting to see that a little bit more? Are we starting to see the tide turn? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the tide is starting to turn. The, I, the, every time I give one of these lectures, and I'm at the University of Washington, uh, the University of, of uh, Colorado, and I was at Harvard, and uh, University of Buffalo, all over the country, in fact, around the world, I've lectured in uh, Australia and New Zealand and in Europe, uh, in Poland and Lithuania, and, and they're all waking up. You know, we're all interconnected now, and they're all waking up to the plant-based message. Uh, and the because uh, uh, they they want the tools to reverse disease. When you're a young med student, man, what do I need to, do to clear that pneumonia and and uh, control that diabetes? Well, this puts the most powerful tool of all in their hands. Uh, it's it's the food. That's what the patients are eating. And once they get that, oh, a whole new world and, and a whole new empowerment happens in these young uh, minds. And uh, and I get nice words. We're open to all health professionals. The, the dentists need to know about this. The nurses, the pharmacists, the physical therapists, they're all dealing with patients with diet-related diseases. And, and if they can all start helping their patients evolve to plant-based diets, we'll become a healthier um, a healthier nation by far. And uh, we're trying to create a generation of nutritionally aware uh, doctors uh, who always ask, by the way, how's your diet these days? What are you eating? Take me through yesterday's eating day. How wonderful if every doctor asked that of their patients on every visit. So that's what we're trying to create, and the students are very open to it. They, they know something's up. It's, it's not 1950 anymore, thank heavens. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, Doc, talk a little bit, if you could, um, you know, you, you mentioned some of the stuff you're doing, the master class in plant-based clinical nutrition, um, the, the website. How can people get involved if they, if they want to learn from you, if they, if they would like to take part in some of these classes uh, and, and what you do? How do they get involved? Thank you. Um, in furthering the, my desire to reach, especially my fellow health professionals, uh, I said, you know, if I had them all in an auditorium, especially young med students, uh, here's how a plant-based diet affects the cardiovascular system. Here's how it affects the GI system. Here's what to do with your colitis patients, your Crohn's patients, uh, with your diabetes patients. So we did a series of master classes uh, for a largely a, a health professional audience, though we get lots of the lay public that's been taking them. Uh, and we've had very nice comments on it. If people are interested, 
again, go to my website, drclapper.com. You'll, you'll see it in the notes here, and it's all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-K-L-A-P-E-R.com. Uh, and you will see, uh, on the landing page, you'll see Masterclass in Plant-Based Nutrition. Just click on that, uh, and you can see, uh, you can take the entire uh, 12 uh, lecture series, uh, or you can just take individual ones. Uh, they each last about 90 minutes. And uh, so I invite people to participate in that. Uh, and if you wanted to know what we're doing in our Moving Medicine Forward initiative, click on Moving Medicine Forward. You'll see uh, where, where we're going, what we're doing, uh, and how people can help. We are uh, supported by donations, and uh, all help would be accepted. You're uh, uh, gratefully accepted. You're contributing to uh, create a new a nutritionally aware medical profession, which is so sorely needed. It's an investment in all our health. Terrific stuff. Doc, we thank you so much for being on. Dr. Michael Clapper, and we'd love to have you back sometime as well again. So thank you so much, Doc. Oh, it's a, pl- a privilege. And it's so let me just say what important service you are performing. Uh, we, we've got the, the sciences in here. Then what's needed now is education, is, is encouragement of the public, is enlightenment public. And you are the crucial 100%. link to that. This, you're, this is a powerful form of medicine we're all practicing today. It's an honor uh, and, uh, and a delight to, to work with you. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Keep up your great work. Thank you. We're trying our best. Dr. Michael Clapper, thank you. All right, time to tell you about VegReg. Yeah, VegReg.com helps you find plant-based restaurants and businesses in just one click. And if you are a vegan-friendly business, they can help you get found. If you're searching for healthy, cruelty-free meal options in your local area, VegReg is the perfect solution. Another great thing about VegReg, they have recipes. And when I say recipes, I mean real recipes. A Bacon Lover's BLT. Cookie Dough Protein Bites, Penne Arrabbiata, now that's the entree and not the character from The Sopranos, and even a Vanilla Bean, that's Vanilla Bean, he said, cheesecake, and they are all plant-based. You can also find Spotlight Vegan Businesses and more when you click on over to VegReg.com. I would say tell them that Rich sent you, but you know, it's a website and no one would hear you. That's VegReg.com. Welcome to Shilor Select. The whole system will be ready in a few minutes. Take your seat and enjoy. Everyone has a story that's built on thousands of hows, whys, and whats. Join myself, Chris Sheeler, as I dive into how people live their lives, why they do what they do, and what goes through their mind while they do it. If you love learning and what makes people tick, my podcast, Sheeler Select, has you covered. New episodes every Monday. Find it on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or just anywhere you get a podcast. Yes, she is a hot chick pea. We say hello to Sarah Carlson and the news. Hello, Sarah. I, I love the news now. The news is like my favorite part of the day. Oh, I'm so excited. And chickpeas. Absolutely. Wait, hold on. Somebody has told us that our Skittles are bad. Yeah, you know, that was exciting. (laughs) Although I tell you what, you'll be more excited about this. Eric's score from our little dairy game, Eric tallying 222. That was was too high. As Sarah comes in with a 157 and is able to beat the heck out of one Aaron Rodgers. So a big win for our lovely lady news person who has got the news for us right now. Okay, Sarah, here we go. You're on. Okay, so you you probably know a lot more about this guy than I do, but I've learned some interesting things. F1 star Lewis Hamilton, he is joining the new Denver Broncos ownership group. 
So um, it's this final step. Uh, I guess it's happening. What am I looking at my watch here? Next week. So he announced that he's going to be doing this ownership stake. This is along with uh, former U.S. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice was another name. But I looked into Lewis Hamilton. I love I love the things that he does and, and, and says. So he shifted to plant-based in 2017. He was 33 years old um, and says that it's been a factor in, in his uh, consistency and the, what is he, seven-time Formula One champion. And he should be an eight-time champion. I don't know if you guys follow F1 at all, okay? And I didn't for a long time. Like, I did when I was in my 20s just a little bit, but there's never any U.S. drivers or U.S. teams, and back then there weren't any, like, U.S. races. And it was like, eh, I don't know, and I'm not much into auto racing anyways. However, on Netflix, there is a docu-series called Drive to Survive. And so I started watching it last summer while my wife and daughter were away in Poland and Portugal, and they were gone for the whole summer, so I was bachelor. And, and what do I do as a bachelor? I decide to watch docu-series on Netflix. And so I got so hooked into Formula One that right now I get up early on Sunday mornings to watch the Grand you Prix live from Europe. I watch everything. And Lewis Hamilton got screwed in the last race. He got screwed so bad that... The, the director of F1 who made the decision to have it happen lost his job over it because he got screwed oh. so badly. And F1 had to apologize, but did they give him the championship? Nah, they couldn't do that. It was no. Big. Yeah, so, well, um, but he should be you know an eight-time F1 champion. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton's awesome. By the way, he's also a knight of the round table. Like, he's, he's that guy. Okay, so, he, first of all, says he should have done it sooner. There's a video, and I, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but in 2018, with a grocery cart showing what he does eat, he started his own food place. I, I, he's from the UK, if I'm not mistaken. That's right, yeah. And it's a, a place called Meat Burger for vegan burgers, and he even has a vegan dog. Yeah, How and Meat Burger no yeah, finally is coming to the United States. They're starting in New York. I think they're coming um, in another month or two. They'll open up their first U.S. Uh, restaurant um, in New York. But, yeah, Lewis Hamilton, it, he's the kind of guy that, uh, I mean, he he talks the talk and then walks the walk. And he yep. always puts his money where his mouth is. And I love him. I mean, he is, he is my all-time favorite athlete right now. Well, I guess right now. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah, and, he's, and, and, he's fantastic. And it sounds like his his tweets are great, too, and he's really like a good man. We talked about what makes a good man. All right, the next story is not such a good thing. It's a recall. Um, this has been showing up a lot. The company, uh, Lions Magnus, I want to make sure I'm saying this correctly, they make uh, nutritional and coffee drinks under their own name, Lions Magnus, but Oatly, Lucerna, and Premier Protein. I think of those Premier Protein oh. drinks. Okay, yeah. so they're recalling... 53 products due to potential microbial contamination. This is according to the FDA. Now, this stuff gets creepy, but the good news is, so far, no cases. We pray no more, knock on wood. Uh, FDA says the products didn't meet commercial sterility. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly either. Sterility is correct. Yeah, specifications. Um, so the sterility, again, that kind of gags me. Uh, they say this could be fe- fever, vomiting, uh, UTIs. As common symptoms, that would be easy, but some people, it can be serious, uh, meningitis and other things that are worse. So definitely, if you um, consume Oatly, Glucerna, Premier Protein, check out the Lion's Magnus website because they do have a a number that you can call. You know, it's amazing how those things can get started. Yeah, I I was in the restaurant business for years and years and years, and just one little thing that you don't do right in handling a product can get people really friggin' sick. I mean, it, it's that way. And, in fact, um, I brewed beer for, for quite a while, and I think I'm going to go back to doing that. And I was so anal about it. I'm not anal about anything in my life at all. But when it came to cleaning the equipment, because one little microbe like that can destroy the entire batch of beer. If you're not sterile enough, just that is going to set off a chain reaction that makes the beer taste funny. I mean, you're not going to get sick because there's alcohol in there and it kills anything that's going to make you sick, but it'll taste funny and smell funny and and, and it's just no good. So yeah, it's amazing how those little creepy things 
can actually set off a whole chain of reaction. Which, by the way, oh, speaking of creepy things, a buddy of mine posts on Facebook yesterday about face mites. Do you know what face mites are? Oh, no. Is that different than, like, on your pillow and in your bed sheets? Kind of. Well, they, they come out of your pores at night. They're, they're micro. They're, there's there's millions of don't, them. Millions. Don't do it. Seriously, millions Please. will come out of your face at night. And do we all have them? We all or have them. Could get them. Every single one okay. of us has them. It's unavoidable. They, they come out of your pores to mate at night, and then they crawl back into your pores. This is what they do, and there's millions of them on all of us at all times. Oh. They mostly live in our facial pores. For some reason, they like those sure? best. But, yeah, so if you're ever creeped out by, like, a spider or something like that, that that's the least of your worries when there's millions of mites that are in your face. I'm going to go to bed tonight and say to myself, oh, he wasn't right. He didn't know what he was telling Otherwise, our podcast, yeah. our podcast listeners and viewers just all left to go wash their face. <laughs> You're not washing them out, man. They're not coming out. <laughs> yeah, right, absolutely great. gross. So well, uh, no amount of uh, makeup's going to cover them up. No amount of astringent. Do people still use astringents uh, for... Sort of I think so, right? Things. For like Everything. acne People or use clean everything. pores. It's usually anti-aging. They aren't talking about the mites. Yeah, it's... I guess that it would be a new company, but we'll come up with it. Maybe, right? maybe you need more mites for anti-aging. Maybe there's more mites you can put on your face or something, and that would work. Oh God, I would think less. <laughs> you need a mite sure. to eat. Yeah, the mites. exactly. All right. <laughs> Enough of that. What else oh. you got for us, Sarah? Okay, so I found this story on several several popular vegan sites. A new study. Um, it's kind of some obvious stuff, but some interesting stats here. I'm guessing it's not the first study showing that plant-based meat is not only better for the environment, but better nutritionally compared to the animal meat that it replaces. Now, this is based out of a major study, and it's a new one, based out of uh, a scientific journal, Future Foods, and this is in England. Now, there are plenty who accuse my tofurkey sandwich and veggie burgers of being overprocessed, maybe less healthy for me, but this study says they are healthier hmm. and more sustainable. There's more work to be done in making sure that it isn't too overprocessed, but no matter what, you're going to go the right way. This study found that because the alternatives mimic the taste well enough, and the texture, they're more effective at convincing people. And this is the gig, right? Like they're getting better at making things taste better. Tofurkey sandwich, for example. Um, convincing people to give up meat and dairy. 43 studies, that's a lot. The, they looked at the health and environmental factors, but also consumers' attitudes. And that hasn't been studied very often. So 90% of meat eaters who tried the plant-based meat and dairy were so-called flexitarians. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. that's a thing. Well, Those are people that will say, and I think I think I know a lot of them. They just don't know that that's what they are. They're right. trying to minimal, minimalize the animal intake. If so you get this, if you ever get a chance, now it's at it's at every store that I've ever seen. Now um, there's a product called Beyond Jerky. So there's the Beyond Burgers. It's the same brand. Yeah. They make jerky, and my wife just bought a bag, brought it home like the other day, and we all tried it. And I got to tell you what. It's the first time that I've had a product that exactly mimics the texture of meat. It was incredible. I couldn't believe it. I'm pulling on the jerky. I'm like, holy crap, this is jerky. So because it's jerky, it's going to be like $24 for two no, pieces, right? It's, it's the Great. same price exactly. as meat jerky, like, like getting beef jerky. It's the exact oh, wow. same price. Not that, you know, I mean, jerky is cheap. It, it is friggin' expensive still. Um, but it was it was incredible. I mean, tasted really good, and the texture was actually there. And, and the thing about these, you know, like like plant based alternatives, and people will try to bring them down. One, they're way better for the environment. Okay, so there, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Instead of all of the the water that has to be given to a cow or all of the waste that comes from a cow, it, it's way better for the environment and and um, desertification and biodiversity, all that kind of stuff. Hey, eat eat the plant-based stuff if you're interested in that. The other thing is, too, for your health, okay? Now, when you eat meat, there's a chain reaction right away. 
that inflames what's called your endothelial linings. And the endothelial cells are all around your blood vessels. And when they get inflamed is when you start developing heart disease and problems like that. It's also what makes you feel sluggish and slows you down or will give you joint pain. It's all from inflammation of the endothelial linings. Um, Plus, you're also consuming heme iron and IGF-1 and stuff like that that can lead to cancer for sure. And there's also, of course, tons of cholesterol um, in there and saturated fats that are really bad for you that you get to avoid when you go with a plant-based product. So, yeah, does it taste exactly the same as meat? No. But can you put ketchup and mustard on it and get it pretty close? Yeah, you can. Um, You know, and you can still get a pretty good product. And this same study, by the way, it's come out in a lot of different sites, I've noticed, because I think it was so big, 43 participants um, and a lot of time. So listen to this. In just this group alone, now, these are things we knew already, but in just this group alone, the men who became vegetarians showed a 31% lower risk of a developing prostate cancer. 31%. Prostate cancer is huge. Second one, participants who rarely ate meat had a 9% lower risk of showing signs of cancer later in life. Um, And that's just cancer. And finally, vegetarian women, this is me, had a lower risk of breast cancer by 18%. Yeah. Now, that's they did mention this was important if they had a a high or extremely high body mass index. Um, So other factors can be involved. But again, a vegetarian. 18%. 18%. IGF-1 so, yeah, that, that's found in meat is what feeds cancer cells, and they're, they're finding more and more about this every day. Yep. But cancer cells need animal proteins in your body to survive. And we're, we're talk, not talking about every kind of cancer. Obviously, you can get cancer from radiation and stuff like that that has nothing to do with what you're eating. Um, it's why people will go and put, like, vests on when they go for an X-ray and uh, all that because they, they don't want the radiation in their body. Um, but, but the thing is, IGF-1 cells, that's what's going to fuel a lot of cancer growth. And so um, the other thing, too, and um, I think you had made mention of it, was hip fractures. Um, and so, um, the reason why this happens and the reason why like, uh, countries like the United States and New Zealand that also drink a lot of dairy and eat a lot of cheese have a lot of hip fractures and osteoporosis is when you have animal products in your body, as soon as you eat them, it, again, it inflames the endothelial cells. Your body then tries to put that inflammation out. The way that your body does it is by taking calcium out of your bones to reduce inflammation. Mm. Calcium reduces inflammation so the more but wait a minute rich this is everything opposite of what you're told is that milk has calcium and and the milk company will still tell you there is calcium in it um but what you get is a net calcium balance so you'll drink the milk that has calcium in it and your body has to use more calcium then it can actually absorb from the milk to put out the inflammation. I mean, it's absolutely crazy, but, but that's how it works. It's fascinating, actually. So, yeah. So um, you, to get stronger bones and you want calcium and calcium your body can absorb, it's green leafy vegetables. Lots of spinach, lots of kale, um, lots of, you know, green lettuce, stuff like that has calcium in it that your body can actually absorb and use. Um, and this way, then you wouldn't get osteoporosis and hip fractures and all that stuff as you grow older. But yeah, what it, it's exactly what we, we were never taught that in school. It's the exact opposite of what we were taught. You know, milk does a body good and milk for Not strong in school, bones. But at home. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about, you know, it's just sort of like the Marlboro being healthy yeah, for you. Yeah, exactly. What, what, what do we know any better? We didn't know and any better, and, study, and now that we do like, and know better, we should probably do better. Yeah. That's that's my thought. You yeah. think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to quote Men in Black, imagine what we'll know Absolutely. tomorrow. Absolutely. We're, right? we're learning more about and it, it makes, every it, day. It makes me and, sad, too, though, because... Yeah. yeah. There's Men in we Black know, 3. So By the way, much. has anybody seen it yet on Netflix? No, it's like no, straight to Netflix or something. I I don't. Uh, I, yeah, I haven't heard a Must thing about it yet, but I'm I'm hoping it's okay. I'll I'll check it out. I'll 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 it have probably to slaps, man. <laughs> no slaps. cap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we are out of time. Absolutely loved it as always. We will see you again tomorrow. Bye bye.